And by the way, welcome again to yes. Midweek in the City. Welcome. <laughs> Had to say that for podcast purposes. <laughs> we're we're we live, live now, so tread carefully. Yeah, is a commercial break. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so any thoughts on that first question? Did, have any of y'all ever had a mentor in your faith life? Silas? awesome. Anyone else? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Anthony? You said that the other day. Yeah. 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 Well, it sounds like so. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So it sounds like it's the same answer for you for both of those questions, right? That's awesome. Anybody else? Yeah, Laura. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Okay, how about that second one? When you're facing something big, a decision or an issue that you're trying to work through, um, who do you go to for help or what? doesn't necessarily have to be a person. Where do you turn to first? Yeah. Your, your parents? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So why do you go to your parents? Okay, because they probably have lived through something like that that you're going through before, right? Or they know you well enough? Yeah. Anybody else? You know, I, I had a, um, a mentor, and I've mentioned him before. He is he has since passed away, but um, he, he died at a relatively young age. <clears throat> but he was somebody outside my field, outside of church work. Uh, he was in another profession, and I found that refreshing because... Uh, I would go to him rather than somebody in my profession for very, very serious things because he offered a, a different kind of perspective. Mm -hmm. And and he also he was a he was a deeply devoted Christian, um, but he also had a salty vocabulary. And I was always <laughs> comforted by that because I couldn't. I was a pastor and I couldn't cuss, but he could. <laughs> And it felt very good. It was like vicarious <laughs> cussing. 
and that helped <laughs> also. But I'm not sure that's what you were looking for. No, that's great. Okay. <laughs> well, and I say all these, we, these questions seem off topic, but tonight we're talking about figures in church history, right? And we're talking about Baptists haven't always been great at studying what, quote unquote, the saints, right, or people in church history and those things, and we'll unpack some of that. But um, one of the biggest things I've kind of come around to when it comes to studying these folks is viewing them as, and this is going to sound cheesy, but whatever, as kind of like spiritual mentors, right? They have wrestled with problems that, and they've done a lot of the heavy lifting that I now don't have to do as much of, right? And so that's one way to kind of view them as we as we go from here, um, and there's a lot of wisdom to be had from them. And so um, I'd encourage you all to have an actual living uh, faith mentor in those things. But also that's part of what church history is meant to do for us. It's meant to, um, we're not supposed to tackle every issue as if no one has ever tried to tackle that before. You know, it's not happening in a vacuum. There's people that have gone before us. And so that's a great point. Well, thanks. I mean, really, it is. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so that's what we're getting into tonight. But tonight we have Dr. Will Height. You can come on up. And if y'all would give him a round of applause. Um, and so Dr. Will Height is um, a professor at Truett Seminary in Waco. And I had him, I think, my first year at Truett. And so um, I learned a ton from him, especially about this exact thing that we're talking about. And so... Um, we're really excited to have you. This is you're in a long canon of Truett professors that have joined us. So <laughs> I'm honored. I'm honored to be in their line. And yeah. great to be with you all. This has been yeah. great so far. Too. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Thank you for coming on your spring break. Even yeah, so. Yeah. So my family's with me. We're enjoying the. Oh, that's great. Walk, so, that's yeah. great. Well, yeah. and to to clear something up, I don't know if you've at Truett. Have you heard of the the trifecta between you and Dr. Gregory and it used to be Dr. Glower? Um, no, what is the Representing the, the Trinity. <laughs> no? This no. didn't get around? Okay. This is probably not a good thing. <laughs> well, well, Dr. Gregory, really gonna... you know, had the, we called him the voice of God, oh, right? Yeah. Okay. okay. Because he has that voice. Right. Yeah. And then Dr. Glower was just, you know, um, was a comforting person, kind of like the Holy Spirit. Uh, oh, I see where and if you going. see where it's going, okay. Yeah. I just never knew if that got around yeah. full circle. Okay. Yeah. Well. Sure. Now you know. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. The more you know. Yeah. Okay. If you have long hair and a beard. You I know. Like What's just kind of Dr. Wilhite, how you respond to that is, don't hate me because I look like Jesus. Yeah, there that's, you go. That's, 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 of course, after my people, Jesus didn't look like me. So, that's right. Yeah. Don't hate me because I look like your, I look, I look like the, your the, European the con- conception of yeah. Jesus. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, see, I, I, th- I think of uh, Dr. Glower, those of you who didn't know him, also taught preaching and mm-hmm. some spirituality. I, I always thought he could walk on water, so I yeah. thought he was going to be the Jesus. <laughs> okay, okay, that could work too, yeah, but. sure. Well, anyway, um, if you hear that now around okay. campus, that's what that is. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Um, and so you've focused pretty much all of your academic life on early church history and specific figures in church history. So what led you to study this? Because this isn't necessarily the first thing that people think of when they want to enter church work or ministry. Yeah, great, great question. Because that's right. So I went into seminary, uh, felt called to ministry, felt called, I'm a Baptist ordained minister. Um, It was sort of a surprise turn for me as well to even get into the academic side of things. And then when you do, why would you study ancient Christian history, Mm -hmm. right? So um, so, so why, there's probably a few levels, but just to, I think the most kind of straightforward way that I, I remember it is I grew up at 
a preacher's kid, was dragged to church every VBS, <laughs> every Sunday school. I, I felt like I knew my Bible pretty well already by the time I got to seminary and, of course, learned it better. Um, I felt like I was learning really well about church history in terms of how you leapfrog from the Bible to Martin Luther and Protestantism, <laughs> and you finally get the Bible right again. <laughs> and then I sort of understood all the theological debates. Those seemed to come naturally, mm -hmm. but it was that gap in the early period that was the yeah. most, I don't know, just foggy in my understanding yeah. and mysterious in some ways. Because and Baptists didn't need that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. we, don't, we don't do much with that so-called Catholic stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> they they some, all used to be Catholic. And some so. it took like Jonathan Edwards to get it right, right? Sometimes yeah. people don't even look that far right. back. Yeah. Yeah. So and then I think the more I looked into that era, the more I actually found um, not only helpful, but comforting and important material. I mean, this is where our canon was formed. Yeah. This is where, I mean, speaking of the real Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, that you know, yes. the word Trinity is not in our Bible. So how did we yeah, get right. from yeah. the Bible to the doctrine of the Trinity as we know it? Mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a, a community of early Christians that do this. They have meals together. Mm -hmm. They break bread together and remember Christ's presence. And it's so meaningful to them, they're willing to die for it. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And they, they have a very embodied faith that, you know, it, I, it, it is that word sacramental that mm -hmm. a lot of Baptists, again, are sort of uncomfortable with. But it is a... It is a sacramental understanding of the faith. Everything mm -hmm. of our faith mm -hmm. is embodied and tangible and, and, and God's real presence to us. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think just I was drawn to this area. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. You know, it, it, thinking sacramentally is, it, it seems to me that it would help us to become um, s softer hearted to people around us uh, rather than concerned I mean, I, I just, um, I'm, you evoked this uh, image in my mind when you, when you talked about viewing things sacramentally. Um, if I consider being in your presence as a, as a holy place to be, then right. I am softer uh, towards you or towards anybody that, um, and it just seems that uh, if we dismiss that early um, those early practices of the church that we, that we throw out all of that and we just have to make our own way in the world. And, and Baptists seem to have been very good at being very individualistic. Yeah. And, and it's probably part and parcel with Western culture too and especially American exceptionalism and all that. You know, we just sort of have that rugged individualism. But there's more to the universe than that. Right, yeah. Again, when I say sacramentalism, I, you don't have to go into the full-fledged medieval seven sacraments of the Catholic Church, sure. transubstantiation, yeah, 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 yeah. but like even uh, I saw a great uh, clip of, of Mr. Rogers, from Mr. Uh, Rogers' Neighborhood, yeah. who, who I don't know, maybe since the movie people know this, he was an ordained Presbyterian yes, minister. What? That's right. uh, I didn't know that. You did not I haven't know that seen really? the movies. I'm so, I'm, okay, spoiler. So I heard him once say that um, the, the, the space between your lips and the person's ears is holy ground. Mm. Like we should take our shoes mm. off because of that sort of oh embodied, real yeah. experience of God's presence through through love and self-sacrifice. Mm. Yeah. Man, Mr. Rogers. That's moving even <laughs> Still, to hear. Yeah. Even to hear that yeah, is all, pretty can't, can't lose quote Mr. Rogers. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of saints. Yeah. Um, and so let's, uh, let me, uh, that really took, that quote really took me by surprise. That was quite something. Um, and I'm sorry that I reacted so shocked, Megan, that you had not heard that. I didn't mean to <laughs> I'm shame. catching up I didn't on mean Mr. To Rogers. Rogers. to Rogers shame you. No, that's uh, okay. I didn't mean that. Um, it's deserved. Why? Yeah. 
Baptists, and we've talked about this, have, have largely um, ignored, I guess, is, a, is maybe too harsh of a word, uh, in some, to some degree, have ignored this early life of the church, um, saints especially, and those people so designated. Um, in fact, in my growing up years, um, I didn't even know about people like C.S. Lewis, much less, you know, St. Augustine or, you know, any of these mm-hmm. folks. Um, so uh, what is, is it a reaction to Catholicism? What is the, what is the reluctance here, Dr. Wilhite? Yeah. What's, what's going on there? To, so that's right. I think I think you can look at it again in sort of two levels. The short the short answer is we don't do this uh, tradition stuff and especially saint stuff because the Catholics do, and that's not quite fair to all Baptists. But there's an element where that's certainly okay. Been, I mean, there's, that, there's it's not a, too pat to say that. I mean, I mean there, there's that... been a strong anti-Catholicism yeah, in Baptist yeah. history. That, um, yes. At, at, at our founding, when early Baptists were drowned for being Baptists, well, literally persecuted by the Catholic Church. Let me just, yes. And, and later on the frontier, when uh, in, in a sort of darker chapter on, on our side, when Irish immigrants come in and things like that. There, yes, there's there's sort of been repeated ways of anti-Catholicism in Baptist life. Well, and and again, not to not to make too much of this, but in the strain of Baptist life in which I grew up, I remember, actually I remember mowing the, the lawn one day, and I was thinking, as one does when one mows the lawn, um, and I was thinking, how cool would it be for me to grow up and become an, a worldwide evangelist, and I could even witness to the Pope, yeah. and he would yeah. become saved? Yeah. <laughs> I, this is... Oh, yeah. No, I grew up with Catholics are, you assume they're not saved. Exactly, yeah. And, and, and let's be honest, we probably ought to assume that a lot of Baptists aren't saved. Um, yeah, I was right? going to say, people probably assume a, the same for evangelicals, it, it right? A, uh, but if a it's a choice between a Baptist and a Catholic, right, the Baptist right. is I, saved. I, yes, I, I, Except I, when we're in our own church and we sing eight verses of the... Yeah, of we've the, given them the chance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, so we've, we've shunned that because largely because of this anti-Catholic bias? Yeah, or? well, again, there, the, um, that's the short answer. There's, I mean, there is an element to where the, the Protestant Reformation in general, and then the Baptist sort of wing of that, was a very intentional discernment of what, what are we going to believe as truly biblical versus just what tradition told us to believe. Uh-huh. Okay. So if late medieval Catholicism told us that the, the, the verse where Jesus says to Peter, thou art Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom, and on this rock I will build my church, if you just read that in the New Testament, that doesn't look like Pete, Jesus is establishing the papacy as we later know it. But in the Middle Ages, that's what we were being told uh-huh. by, by the Catholic Church. And so Protestants are saying, no, no, we're going to get back to what does the Bible actually say. Okay. So there's, I mentioned, I kind of joked about leapfrogging from the New Testament to Martin Luther. There was a very intentional leapfrogging backwards to what does the scripture say. But it, there, there is a way in which you can swing, swing the pendulum too far, right? I mean, so what, what is and isn't in the Bible? What, do we just throw everything out from tradition, even the good stuff? Yeah. That, that's where I think Baptists have struggled. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, oh, okay. I'll well, and I forgot to mention, too, for Q&A, do, would we like to do Slido or oh, yes. would we like to do? Yes. Um, we can I forgot do, to mention that. We can do, if you want to ask a question, something comes to your mind, Give me like two minutes and I'll have a slido up for you. Go to Sorry, s- I- slido.com <laughs> and type your question out. 
Uh, yeah. You can ask questions from the floor too when we get to our Q and A time. But it, if, if you want to ask it on Slido, you can do that too. I always SRLIDO. remember that around the second com. question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, awesome. Sorry. And to put this in some context, um, recently, so we just had our first, uh, the, our church's first Ash Wednesday service last week. So that was our first time fully. We've kind of talked about it before, and this group has done that more before, but. Um, so we just did that, and then the week before that, Chris Johnson joined us, and we had a conversation around becoming more ecumenical. What does that look like? And so this is kind of where that where this conversation is um, coming from. And so um, we're kind of exploring that this semester, um, and because the Catholic Church, but really a lot of other churches too, have focused so much more on church history, and we're trying to kind of catch up. Or um, yeah. Yeah, kind of catch up to some of those things. And so what do we miss out on when we don't study these folks? Um, what, do, what do Baptists kind of not get? Or really just anyone that doesn't study church history. Um, yeah. yeah. What do we miss? Yeah, that's right. So Baptists belong to what would be called the Radical Reformation, the Radical Arm. So we, we've thrown out more of tradition than any other group, right? Mm-hmm. So Martin Luther was a, Reforma- a, a Protestant, but he still kept bishops. Yeah. So Baptists and Congregationalist groups oh. said, wait a minute, I don't see the bishop, the hierarchy of bishops, mm-hmm. as it later going to be known. I don't see that in the New Testament. So we kind of started throwing out all the tradition we could. Um, mm-hmm. And what do, we, what do we lose from that? I mean, if you, lo- if you, if you don't study the history, so, you know, the famous quip is, those who don't learn lessons from history mm-hmm. are doomed to repeat yeah. history's mistakes. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt in which some of uh, what we're losing is just that kind of big picture approach to history. Even, and it's not as if you could expect every person who joins a Baptist church to suddenly mm-hmm. take a course in church history. Yeah. But, but it sure would be nice if more people uh, like you went to places like Truett where they at least <laughs> emphasize how we didn't really, you know, God didn't just fast forward from uh, the Apostle Paul to Martin Luther, right? Mm-hmm. God, the Spirit of God was at work in all of these other mm-hmm. eras. So what was of God and then mm-hmm. what, what, what was not? Um, so, I mean, I don't know, you can sort of take your issue, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, Zwingli was one of the famous Protestant report, ref, reformers that, in the Baptist tradition we follow. Mm-hmm. Zwingli thought that we should throw out all icons. Mm-hmm. And again, most Baptist churches tend to not have actual images. Now, mm-hmm. now the, the wealthier ones will have uh, stained glass windows. Yeah. And in yeah. the <laughs> modern era, the 20th century, we brought back the, the Jesus that looks like me, the blonde hair, blue eyed <laughs> picture that's in every Sunday school class. But normally, apart from Jesus and stained glass, we actually windows, found an old portrait of that Jesus yeah, recently. It's, it's everywhere. Something so, yeah. you know, I, I love that. That that says so much. The Jesus that looks like right. me. That's what we want. That says right. that says a lot. Right. Yeah, <laughs> about all of us. Right. Uh, yeah. Not me, but exactly. In, everybody says that. <laughs> so if we're like, if we're supposed to throw out all icons, yeah. I mean, is um, most Baptists generally do. And, and for those who are worried about icons becoming idols, I'm, I can mm-hmm. understand why we do that. I'm in support of not letting them become idols. Mm-hmm. But Zwingli thought that the pipe organ had become an idol. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he didn't find musical instruments in the New Testament because they're not mentioned in the New Testament. Yeah. So he drug the organ out into the churchyard and chopped it up with an axe. Um, so... <laughs> We have have an organist here. At First Baptist Church San Antonio, that's not a good thing to say. (laughs) See? See, you can take it too far. So, yeah, I think that's that's the problem with not knowing history and learning from the saints. You can take it too far. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. And then we're just repeating the same questions and problems all over again. I don't know if any of us would chop up an organ, right? But there's something to be said for somebody else has given this some thought. 
Yeah, so and, you're, you're yeah. repeating the mistakes and you're not learning the positive lessons. I mean, so, yeah. you know, as we said here about, uh, to me, growing in the Baptist tradition, I did not hear the word sacrament at all. And again, mm-hmm. the word can be a, a problematic, so I'm, mm-hmm. not, I'm not insisting on the word, but at least a sacramental understanding of the faith. Sure. If, you, yeah. if you don't have that, you are missing a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's so important to much of the tradition. I mm-hmm. just think there's a lot of positive we've lost and a lot of mistakes we're doomed to repeat. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Wilhite, what, we're throwing around this word saint here, and we find this in the, in the Bible, uh, Hagioi or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- what, what determines a saint? And I, I heard, um, you, you know, Bishop Robert Barron, uh, the, the uh, L.A., oh, well, he's a, he's a Los Angeles, he's in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Okay. Phenomenal preacher, big YouTube president. Anybody know of him? Um, he's Alex. Uh, he's um, he's got this YouTube channel called Word on Fire. He's he's just a phenomenal preacher. But anyway, he he talks about saints, um, and he says that it is the uh, it it should be the aspiration of every Christian to become a saint. Uh, it, it, and now he says this through a Catholic lens, but. Um, but becoming a saint is is really um, the the end of of this devotion to Christ in in his um, in in his words. So what what are we talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So any Roman Catholic would admit that in the New Testament, saint the word saint is a much more general term. Mm-hmm. It's any holy person. And therefore, any follower of Christ is a holy person because Christ's holiness has been given to us. Mm-hmm. So even Catholics would admit that all of us are saints in that sense. Okay. But what Roman Catholics mean by saints is a much more rigorous definition. So that comes because of their view of how salvation works and how there needs to be a period of purgatory for most of us after we die because they believe that there's still sin in us that's like a disease that needs to be purged. So sure. you have to have a real rigorous system to know who has already from that state where we need to pray for them because they're in purgatory right. versus we can pray to them because they're already in glory. Sure. So sure. we Protestants, again, don't have, we don't find any of that in Scripture. Right. We, don't, we right. don't have any of that kind of system at all. Sure. Um, so I think there's sort of two ways where we would agree on how saints work. So we, we, we tend to think that Catholics have this really bad understanding of saints that's um, misguided, theologically incorrect. The real... The real key difference is not as big as what most Protestants think. So the way the, the, the creeds talk about the saints, and again, we Protestants don't necessarily recite the creeds, but we don't ever disagree with most of the content. Sure. So the communion of saints. We Protestants believe in the communion of saints, just like Catholics do. We just don't take the final step Catholics do. And, and just can you give us a thumbnail sketch of that phrase? Yeah, yeah. So here's what I mean. The communion is we are all in communion with one another. But what's key for that, for both Protestants and Catholics, is we are in communion with one another because we are in union with Christ. So it's not, and this is very important in our modern world, it's not because we all look alike or we all vote alike or we all think alike. That's not our, our union, right? Uh, that We really should be neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. The only thing that really makes us one in this theological sense is that I've been baptized into Christ and you've been baptized into Christ. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we're one in Christ. So the communion means that It doesn't matter if I'm on one side of the room and you're on one side of the world, we're still in communion with one another through Christ. And it matters not if I'm alive and you are dead. Got it. Mm -hmm. Because God is the God of the living, not of the dead. So in Christ, all live. So 
Yes. The communion of saints, this is where we 100% agree. What's the, the added step that Catholics are talking about is they believe that along with the communion of the saints, we can have communication with the saints. Got it. So they believe that the saints are listening and can talk back. Okay. We Protestants don't find that in Scripture, so we don't have to believe it. Right, right, right. Um, and, and Samuel in the Old Testament was not a saint. He was just a grumpy spirit coming up from the ground. Uh, but, yeah, uh, you yeah. Know, there's... that's a different case there. <laughs> that's true. The that's witch true. of Endor summons the, witch the spirit. Of Endor, You're not yeah, supposed exactly. to go that route. Even Catholics admit that's that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay, so... So is it basically uh, just a particularly holy person? Right. Saint, that, yeah, okay. Saint, uh, I mean, sanctus in Latin means holy. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an adjective. So a holy person. But again, it's not yeah. because of our own holiness. It's because right. of Christ's holiness. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, and even, I mean, it, it, we tend to think of those who are dead who are holy, right? Yeah. Because they don't have the risk of sin anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I say we, we Protestants don't really believe this. We, we don't have to believe it because of the Bible. Uh, the example I always I, the, I, I think there is a sort of sneaking suspicion on our part that the <laughs> Hebrews 11 verse that says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Uh -huh. and, um, I think that we really want to live into that as Protestants and, and just intuitively as Christians. So the example I always give is when I was ordained, um, my grandfather came to the ordination ceremony. He's now gone to be with the Lord, so I'd like to think a saint. Um, but when at the ceremony, since he was an ordained deacon, he got to participate in the laying on of hands with me. And yeah. Came forward. I mean, it was very, talk about a holy moment. It mm -hmm. was a very special moment. And afterwards, Grandpa comes up to me, and uh, he call, he always calls me his number one grandson. And his, Grandma says it's because I'm the oldest. I think it's because I'm his favorite. But <laughs> he comes up and says, number one grandson. And he said, and he tried to say, I'm proud of you. And he got real choked up and, like, couldn't say it. And, but here, I, I know, I know the, all the all's. But here's, here's the cool part um, is the reason Grandpa is so especially proud is because my Grandpa's grandpa was a circuit riding Baptist preacher in North Alabama mm. and that was like my grandpa's hero and my grandpa was never called to the ministry and was an active deacon an active minister in his own local church but was never he always I think sort of felt like he wasn't living up to his grandfather's standard mm. but now here was his number one grandson being ordained and he <laughs> stuck his arm around me and got choked up and then to my great surprise he looks up and says grandpa you watch out for my boy Aww. And Grandpa has just prayed to a saint. Hmm. And he's a Baptist deacon. <laughs> That's not supposed to happen. <laughs> but and, and so the ordination was canceled. <laughs> no, no. It was too late. I couldn't take it back at that point. Uh. So I think there is something wow. intuitive about oh our gosh. drawing on the saints. Yeah, yeah. Just we don't yeah. do so in the same sort of... Um, I would hate to say legalistic, but that sort of rigorous, yeah. formal way. That yeah. yeah. I like your word intuitive there because it's yeah. it's something organic to the human spirit then to to appeal to that. And we it's it's really, it seems like a sense of the continuity of the human spirit uh, between life and death. There is this continuity. We don't believe in a discontinuity right, here. Right, right. Mm -hmm. so. Can I? Oh, yeah, please. Personal, ask you a question. I mean, you're, you got a little misty out there. Is this touching a nerve with you? Yeah, my, you like to share? Well, my... <laughs> I know it's your job to ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a touching story, but my grandfather was also president. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we believe in the same yeah. 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 Hmm. That's sweet. Yeah. yeah. And he's... He's gone now too, and, you know, but yeah, but that was, 
That was just beautiful. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Well, I think this is exactly how, I mean, if you were to extend that on, I never knew my grandfather's grandfather. Yeah. But one day I will. Yeah. And maybe mm. it would be better for me to have known more of his story, right? And yeah. then what about his grandfather or what about mm. his spiritual grandfather, not by the bloodline, but through the, our spiritual bloodline in Christ? I mean, this is, so this mm. is, this is what I study. Yeah. Just, I focus on the more far ancient history. Version. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So did that kind of just become naturally a part of Catholicism to venerate? Or was that there kind of a line in the sand where this is now a part of our practice or did that? Yeah. So, yeah, good question. So remember, to call it Catholicism before there was Protestantism is sort of a, a, um, a misnomer, right? Because yeah. it was just Christianity. Right. Right. So, yes, the in the early church, I mean, where you really sort of see the, the dead saints get set apart as special and people mm-hmm. start to venerate them, and I'll come back to that word, yeah. um, is really with martyrdom. So when you have people who die for the faith, not, I mean, all we're called to, everyone's called to take up their cross, but the truth is the Roman Empire wasn't hunting down every Christian everywhere. It's just, you know, so it was, it was a unique thing to actually die for your faith. And when they do, there ends up being something like a shrine mm-hmm. you know, yeah. to where this person was buried. I mean, and people want to come be close to that yeah. person. And so, yes, they, I mean, churches were later built up on, on those same sites. Most of our surviving churches from the early, early region are from martyr shrines. So... Yeah, wow. I think there was this sense in which these are especially holy people. They proved the faith. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's sort of where that came out. Now, now to venerate is a tricky yeah. word because we Protestants don't, don't use it. But we, we Protestants sort of always accuse Catholics and Eastern Orthodox Christians of, of praying to the saints mm-hmm. and worshiping the saints. And they would do the praying part because they think of prayer just like we think of God. It's just talking. Yeah. They do talk to the saints, but they certainly are clear they don't worship mm-hmm. the saints. Mm. So official mm. Catholic teaching, Orthodox teaching is always that r- worship is reserved for God alone, mm. but you can venerate is the word they use, or mm. which means honor, revere mm. or honor the saints. So if we honor our grandparents in the faith, why can't we honor those who that's such a help. It, it's yeah, so helpful, helpful for you to guide us through that kind of thinking and, and what those words signify uh, in uh, another tradition. Yeah, yeah. because really we certainly helpful. don't want to slip into worship. Right, exactly. And we can. We can idolize yeah. them, but yeah. that's not the intent. But that's that right. is the story often that, that you know, people hear, certainly I heard growing up, they, those Catholics, they, they just worship the saints, they worship yeah. Mary, they worship, you know, all yeah. this. Well, um, it's important to point out to you before, because I know we'll, we'll focus here on St. Patrick just because, you know, I like to be on the nose with things and it's March, but um, it's important to point out to you, there, there's men and women saints, Right, and I think sometimes that gets overlooked, and we'll probably talk about mm-hmm. Teresa eventually, just because yeah. I like Teresa. But, yep. um, you know, I'm I'm in a group of Baptist women ministers, and we um, we're kind of just doing this study, and it was um, kind of a poem, and it went through all of the women that were that served in a ministerial role in in uh, scripture, and then it kind of went on through early church history and all of these things, and I kind of had a moment where. You know, I don't. I don't have as many living people, right, that I can look to to say, "Oh, you've done this before." But I was like, "Man, I have this rich history to look back on." Right, oh, and so good. I think for that's women, good. it's important to point that out um, that women are a part of this conversation too, um, and there's quite a long history of that that we can look back on um, as encouragement. Right, they're part of and that so, cloud of witnesses. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and and so now let's talk about drinking, and uh, <laughs> this is Saint. <laughs> St. Patrick. Okay. Uh, uh, and so yep. why, why is he, 
why is he such a common name, and and how did his name get relegated to just a holiday for imbibing? You know, yeah, my, yeah. Michael Foley. I don't know if you know yeah, who he is, but uh, yeah, he's he, a colleague of mine at Baylor. He, he, uh, he, us. he, he oh, was one of my he was yeah. one of my um, son's professors at Baylor, and uh, he was just taken aback. And he he got this. He bought this. My son bought his book, Foley's book, uh, "Drinking with the Saints." You know, yeah. and so it has has it written by this bat, this Baylor professor, but. Um, Roman Catholic, baby. Roman Catholic, yeah, <laughs> Roman Catholic, yeah. but he's he's yes. Yeah, if you want teaches cocktail, at the Baptist Institution. If you want a cocktail for every Saint day of the year. He's, <laughs> he's, he's your man. Yeah. yeah, that's that's right. But but how? Do, but we we relegate and Saint Patrick has an entry in there. But we but we've in popular culture relegated it to to that. So who who are we talking about here? Yeah, Patrick. who's the original Saint Patrick? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he was a real person. He is actually not Irish. He's English. But he's captured by Irish raiders and raised as a slave for several years in Ireland, so learns the language. When he eventually escapes and comes back to England, uh, feels a call of God in his life and actually has a pretty dramatic like vision of someone from the, the, British, the, the, the Isle of Ireland calling him to come back and preach the gospel. And so he does exactly that. He goes over it. And to preach the gospel in that sort of context is, is very different than what we would think of I mean, than standing on a street corner. I mean, one of the right. main things you do is you set up a monastery. And it becomes a center of prayer, and it becomes a center of communal life that is a like a city set on a hill. It's people living this all things in common kind of life, and it radically it, impacted. The, that's the, what was uh, it included in the scope of preaching the gospel was to right. to um, build up this community. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, oh. now, there is the actual verbal preaching, and sure. it happened. Townspeople are invited to a sermon, invited to an outdoor message. Um, but they're coming to see who are these strange people oh, called okay. Christians who okay, yeah. actually don't try to get wealthy and don't try to, you know, climb the ladder. And, you know, they, they, sure. they just share everything in common. That's weird. So Patrick uh, sets up dozens and dozens of these monasteries. With it comes opportunities to preach over and over again. He, I mean, baptizes some estimates. It probably can't be substantiated, but 100,000 people in his own lifetime. What? Allegedly drove all the snakes out, although I suspect <laughs> that was more the cold weather than uh, Patrick. And, but and that might have been like bankers and lawyers, you know, the snakes. Right. snakes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, demons, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I mean, it really is in his lifetime that you see the entire island of Ireland become converted to wow. Christianity. And um, he's not the first to preach there, but it's just such a radical shift in his lifetime. So he's the patron saint of Ireland. So Ireland being a Catholic country, uh, his feast day is one of the biggest feast days of the year. And yes, you get to drink on a feast day <laughs> if you're Catholic. Um, so the yeah. fasting, I mean, I know you're talking about Lent now. Uh -huh. The fasting you do is a spiritual discipline, but feasting is also a spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you first fast, if you just <laughs> feast, it's gluttony. But if you first feast, uh, fast, then you also get yeah. the spiritual celebration. Now... Technically, t uh, Christian teaching, even Catholic teaching, is you're not supposed to drink to drunkenness. Yeah, um, I yeah. think St. Thomas Aquinas has, the, it's probably not a legit quote, but I've always heard him quoted as saying, drink to the point of levity. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're so the Irish take that one home with you. Catholic tradition, which Very. comes over to America, to places like Chicago. Yeah, right. Celebrates Boston, Chicago. Yeah, yeah, we turn the river green every year yeah. in Chicago. But, yeah, yeah. Y'all yeah. yeah. <laughs> do. Oh, and here too. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it gets greener. That's a different uh, it issue. It really does. Fun. Yeah, it, it okay, gets cool. greener. Yeah. <laughs> so, what kind of things did Patrick contribute to our faith now? 
And then what kind of things do we get from his life? That, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, St. Patrick is not one of those saints who, who is a novel teacher. He doesn't really mm-hmm. come up with teachings of his own. What's pretty remarkable is even though he's far removed from the centers of power, like Rome and Constantinople, and again, if you know your church history, there are these major councils happening in the mm-hmm. early church. I mean, one of the two major councils that just happened before his, uh, his sort of ministry begins, where you really formulate the doctrine of the mm-hmm. Trinity, he's really not privileged to all that information. I mean, he's mm-hmm. sort of out there. And so in some ways, he's highly celebrated among all sort of um, British Isle Christians today who are trying to retrieve something they call Celtic Christianity, mm-hmm. which would, so it, if the Protestant Reformation came after the real Catholic churches, we know Roman Catholic, they were trying to kind of retrieve that earlier expression mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of wow. Christianity, which is, uh, a bit of romanticizing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not quite as um, <laughs> clean-cut as they would like to be. But but what's remarkable is you still find Patrick teaching the same core principles that even leaders who are in the in the in the mm-hmm. center of power, like Augustine, are teaching. I mean, he's teaching an Orthodox view of the Trinity. Uh, he allegedly took the four, the three-leaf clover, and just like yeah. there are three pads on the leaf, and there's one clover, three persons of God. Now. I, I can't find where he actually did that, and that would technically be a her- heretical form of the Trinity. So I hope he didn't actually use that as an example. Um, but what we know of his writings that's and letters. That's mortalism, Pastor. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, yeah. He, uh, from what we know of his writings, he actually did have a very orthodox form. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really just the fact that he's able to simply be a somewhat almost naive Christian, and yet you see the Spirit of God at work mm. in the same way yeah. that you see in all these other leaders who have all the power and access to, to yeah. resources. I hadn't thought about him being kind of on his own from the rest of Christian culture happening yeah. behind him, right? That's hmm. And a naive Christian, you use that yeah. in a very interesting way. It's probably too extreme to call him that, but in a sense, he's not there in the center of power like Milan, Rome, Constantinople. Yeah. All, all the, the monks are desperately calling for these books to be sent over to make copies, but it's, it's not there at the beginning of Patrick's ministry. Wow. He brings that with him. So. Wow. Awesome. Well, um, in the in the history, and Megan, I don't know if I'm interrupting what no. you're okay. In in the history of the early church, then, can what what figure has been most influential to you? Ha, have you learned the most from? Okay, so I'll give you a couple of answers, and then the the, the more real answer, um, okay. <clears throat> more honest answer. So I did my doctoral dissertation on a guy named Tertullian. No one's ever heard of him. He's the first Latin writer. He's the first significant writer from North Africa. Um, I've been to North Africa. This is where Perpetua and Felicity uh-huh. were also martyred. So talk about great hero women yeah. of, the, of the faith. Mm. He knows Perpetua. He names her. So he's very influential to me because my doctoral dissertation was on him. Okay. Now, he's got tons of problems and issues. So I'm not going to call myself a Tertullianist or something like that. Okay. Um, okay. The other name is St. Well, Augustine. we're going to have to shut this down right yeah, now. Yeah, you, well, you should. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you were. Um, <laughs> St. Augustine is no doubt the biggest name in the early church just because he's written more than anyone else. He's a, he was the smartest dude around in his time and his life period. So you just sort of can't help but be influenced by him. If you study him, I, I, it, it was sort of in vogue to find everything like you would, was wrong with him and dismiss him. And the more I've studied him and taught him, the more I'm just convinced he's actually right 99% of the time. Amazing. Augustine. So, yeah. Augustine, yeah. yeah. So the real answer, though, is I think when you study the early church, you really end up gravitating away from individuals. I mean, you still find fond individuals that you want to learn from, but it becomes this uh, communion of saints idea. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I think mm-hmm. I've learned more from the, the, the ecumenical councils themselves. Mm-hmm. I learned more from things like 
catechisms which have survived, which are supposed to represent not an individual's view or arguments, but what the church represents. So, so I think the early church is the sort of answer I want to give as the more yeah. real influential mm-hmm. one. That's, that's yeah. beautiful, yeah. really beautiful. Uh, I, I love your take on catechisms. There, this is the, this is the voice of the the community speaking, the voice of the saints, the voice of yeah. the communion. Not just of an saints. individual teacher. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's what all, all Christians should hold to. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And as we wrap up, um, we hopefully we'll have a few questions. But um, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> we've <laughs> we've. Um, started this tradition of Ash Wednesday this year and you know there's there's different ways to lean into the the church calendar and to be liturgical and and all of these things but um some have kind of a distaste for some of these things because they're not seen in the New Testament church right and that's normally the um the hang up that they have is well I don't see this happening in the early church so this feels extra biblical so that's surely wrong right and we've kind of been dancing around that all night but um, what do we make of that? Um, yeah. you know, We're are those things, and dancing yeah, really, that... I know, <laughs> are those things wrong? Um, I don't think so. Right. But how do, how do we kind of deal with those? Yeah. And Lent and Ash Wednesday in particular. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I, I deeply sympathize. I was raised in a Southern Baptist church and, uh, never had had Lent in my life till mm-hmm. I sort of moved off to school and went to different kinds of Baptist churches and, so that's right. I think, again, Baptists are at our best when we're trying to be biblical. What does the Bible actually say? Now, Baptists can throw out the baby with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. So I already mentioned the word Trinity is not in our Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, weekly passing of the offering plate is not in your Bible. Don't tell your pastor <laughs> that one. Um, right? But, we'll, we'll edit that out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, in post-production. Yeah, that's so <laughs> there's a sense in which we sort of pick and choose. Well, it's not in my Bible, so I don't have to do it, right? Uh-huh. So yeah. um, I think the real question is, has the... Christian community at large, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we, you mentioned earlier we have an, a propensity in our era to be hyper-individualistic. Mm-hmm. I, think the, I think the primary uh, sphere of the spirit of God's work is in the local congregation. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to submit our individual will to the will of the body of Christ mm-hmm. as manifest in our local congregation. But there's also a sense in which we could be hyper-congregationalist and not let our congregation mm-hmm. listen to the wider body of Christ mm-hmm. And so, of course, wow. our congregation has to discern what is God's will for us mm-hmm. here. Uh, it may not be the same as what it was for our right. grandparents or will be down the street. But that doesn't necessarily mean all those things from tradition, like right. Lent and other things, are bad. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what, what might we be able to retrieve from those things? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think there's a, a lot to be explored there. Yeah, mm. yeah. Awesome. Wow, this is, this is fantastic. We do have some questions uh, here on Slido. Yes, Blaze. So, how do you recommend teachers who just don't have seminary education to study teaching? Like, should I take up Julian and Miss? Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> is, there, is there a primer for, uh, for that kind of thing? I guess? Yeah, great question. I mean, I would say. So, so should I repeat the question? The question is, how do you, uh, how, the average person who can't go to seminary, how does that Christian start picking this stuff up? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, honestly, just curiosity. I wouldn't, I would not advise trying to find a textbook that covers everything. You're going to fall asleep reading that textbook. So, you know, what areas do you want to know more about? If it's already Lent and Ash Wednesday, look into that. I mean, it, maybe even, maybe even other holidays. Like, why do we have Easter eggs on Easter? That's not in the Bible, you know. So. 
I, I think sort of a, a holy curiosity is the best place to start, especially in our information age where you can get on YouTube and Wikipedia. And then what I would in, highly encourage is don't trust YouTube and Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Once you start there, try to find more resources that will help you with your sort of question, you know. So yeah. Yeah. You, can find, um, you can find university websites that would help, seminary websites that would help. You can find Amazon books that would help. I mean... Email me. I'll, you know, uh, we, we really do. As, as, as professors, like, we love to talk about this so much, we devoted our lives to talk about this <laughs> yeah. stuff. So if, if you That's know good. of these kinds of questions, contact an expert. And we mentioned mentors already. Mm -hmm. Find people yeah. who could kind of guide you on those specifics that you're yeah. interested That's in. That's good. Yeah. And, and sign up for Truett right out here at the <laughs> yes, table. Um, okay, um, here are some Slido questions. What historic theological figure would you recommend studying mm. and why? Okay. Uh, again, where to even start? Or, well, or, yeah. or There's so many. So I already mentioned Augustine as one of the mm -hmm. ones that you really it's just can't get away from. You, uh, you are all, everyone in this room is Augustinian, whether you know it or not. Um, <laughs> yeah. So and now explain that just a little bit. Oh, in so many ways. So your view of how sin works, your view of original mm -hmm. sin, things like that. Mm -hmm. we, are, we have a very Augustinian, especially in the West, and that's all, by West, I mean everyone with a Western education, no sure, matter what part sure. of the world you're born in. Um, so those of us with Western education that think like him, we've got, he has a certain psychology that he's passed on to the West. So, so um, his book, Confessions, really is an easy read, and uh, many Christians turn to that and just, he, what they do is you read through book nine, that's the narrative of his life, and there's some pretty racy parts, we yeah. have concubines and all yeah. that, but um, he eventually comes to the faith, um, his mother is an overbearing mother. This is Monica. Monica's mother, his mother. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the last three chapters get real philosophical and speculative, and everyone falls asleep during that part. But <laughs> Augustine. Would you go back to the racy parts again? Yeah. I want to see, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, St. Catherine of Siena. Yeah. I know you mentioned St. Teresa. I love St. Catherine. Like She's Catherine. a fascinating... She, she uh, advised the Pope in her day and age. Mm -hmm. So just before the Protestant Reformation, she's saying stuff a lot of Protestants end up saying. Um, John Wesley is one of my biggest heroes, even though I'm start, staunchly Baptist. If right. you can study Wesley's life, you'll be inspired. So yeah. That's good. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> um, those are pretty good names there. Uh, don't we all become saints when we accept Christ as Savior? Exactly. That's the biblical definition. So to be a saint is to be a holy person, and the holiness comes from Jesus, not from ourselves. Okay. So what, what do you mean by saint in the sense of people who are dead saints? That's a, you know, that's a, that's a non-biblical sort of technical way of using the term. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. The same would be true with martyrs, right? In the New Testament, Jesus calls us all to be witnesses, but the Greek word is martus, martyrus. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, so we're all called to be witnesses, and yet we only call martyrs the people who died as witnesses. So, so we ha we, that's a great analogy. We do have a bi-level understanding or a, or a two-part understanding of that word. Right. And saints is very analogous to that, I guess. Can be, yeah. Uh, or can be, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, that's, that's really great. Um, <clears throat> do Catholics pray to all deceased believers or only certain saints? Yeah, that's great. Only certain saints, because all deceased believers, I, I mentioned this quickly, I know, but they, so if, if you have this Catholic view of salvation to where sin is not just a crime you've committed, right, you're guilty, you need to be not guilty. A judge can come along and acquit you of your crimes. Mm -hmm. That's our Protestant kind of primary way of talking about sin. Catholics' primary way of talking about sin is the way Paul talks about it in Romans 7. Sin indwells me. 
So it's like this disease mm. I have, and Paul goes on and says, that which I want to do, I don't do, and that which yeah. I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? So it's organic or, yeah. or systemic. Yeah. It's not the body that's the problem. It's the body filled with sin, with death yeah, that's yeah. the problem. So how do you get purged of that? It happens through spiritual disciplines and through those sacraments of the church. And if you don't get it all purged, according to Roman Catholic doctrine, it has to get purged before you can go into the all the presence of the all-holy God. Sure. So that's why Catholics feel they need to be really, really careful to know. That, like, if you died as a martyr for Catholics, you suffered so much in this life, you, we assume you've been purged of all sin. I mean, that, that's their view. So you can pray to martyrs. They, they automatically get fast-tracked to sainthood. Right. Now, my grandfather, I'd like to think he's a saint, but if he were Catholic, they would not trust that he's a saint yet because he's probably just, you know, he, he, had, he, was, he, was a, he probably had problems in his life. So, sure, sure. Um, so they had this real rigid view of you have to have undergone so much suffering. You have to have evidence of miracles after your death. And, and mean, let me, real, this, is, this developed over yeah, we're talking this is not just somebody sat down, okay, what are we going to make the rules of sainthood to be and <laughs> right. saint, people praying to saints? This is a developmental kind of thing. That's right? right. This kind of definition of saints is like in the second millennium, we're talking about centuries of centuries of centuries of kind of adding to this. And there's a lot of thought of behind this and, yeah. and uh, so forth. Yeah, okay. Okay, that's uh, – so not everybody but just certain – Those who have been what's called canonized, officially – found to be saints for the church. Can you get a message to somebody? No, I'm kidding. Uh, okay, um, do you believe, or do you think in modern Christian circles, people have placed and acknowledge Billy Graham as a saint? Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, well, I mean, he's a hero of mine. My, so talk about my grandfather. My father came to the faith watching a Billy Graham uh, wow. uh, live you know, tele yeah, television yeah. event. Uh, later met Billy Graham after he'd been ordained to ministry. So I got this great picture of my spiritual grandfather and my biological father. Oh, my word. So I think of Billy Graham as a saint in that sort of biblical sense. Yeah. And in that sort of, man, this is a hero of the faith, right? Yeah. Now, we're at risk of, I, I think what might be behind that question is some people take that too far and idolize him. Yeah. The way others idolize other saints, Mary or whoever, sure. you're at risk of doing that too. So. So, yes, obviously we could always take this too far, but, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having heroes in the faith. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, we can get caught up in these saints were perfect on earth, and that's obviously right. untrue, right? And so when right. we find something in their life that we now know to be sinful or, you know, now in this culture it is clear that that is wrong, you know, it can, again, we throw the baby out with the bathwater, yeah. right? right? But, right. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it's, yeah, we're not saying any of these people are perfect we're saying right. their life is worth emulating with a grain of salt, right? And so yeah. that's, that's that can get really left good. out sometimes. When Ab we, absolutely yeah. good, yeah. And and throwing the baby out with the bathwater is would not be bad in some people people's eyes because they would say, well, we don't do infant mm -hmm. baptism anyway, so we might as well. Throw that out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, okay, are these are the jokes, people? Uh, okay, are there are there any Christian world events? Or movements that we would benefit from um, by not ignoring, and I, I guess there's a, there's a, I see the thread there tying to you know we've we've ignored some of this stuff, yeah, but what yeah. what what is a movement or world? I don't know. I mean, world, so pa past primarily, I assume, is in the question, but maybe well, present I, as well. Yeah, past, present, yeah. whatever. So I mean, for, so I'm glad they said world events because yeah. Christianity has always been a global religion. Sure. So I think if yeah. you 
I'll, I'll say the present, but I don't, this is not my area of expertise, and I'll quickly move to the other one. The, okay. I mean, the, the, the worldwide Pentecostal movement is a movement that we should be paying strong attention to. Mm. I mean, the, say the, more about that. Well, the majority of people in Africa today are Christians. Mm -hmm. The majority of the population of Africa mm -hmm. is Christian. The majority yeah. of, the, of people on, on that the continent, continent? Yes, mm -hmm. that's right. Across so, all nations? Yes. Because the so, center of the world's Christianity has moved, right? Has it right. shifted yeah. to yeah, the global radical. south and, already? And, and, and in a generation, this may be true in Asia, the largest Christian population in the world is in Central Asia. That's, that's Asia. just so, yeah. astounding. Yeah, and the, vast, the fastest growing areas of those are charismatic Pentecostal groups. And so, yeah, I think we should be paying attention to what the Spirit of God is doing. I don't believe in speaking in tongues the way that it you know, shows up in most Pentecostal denominations. I don't believe in those sorts of like required sign gifts to show yeah. the Spirit at work. But ne neither do all Pentecostals. So, right. so I think we ought to be paying attention to that movement wow. today. And with that, just... Christianity has always been global. So if you're, mm -hmm. you know, if you can't help but watch the news today of what's um, happened recently in Syria, and we're seeing that Syrian Christians are, you know, still being persecuted, yeah. coming under terrible pressure from groups like ISIS. Um, I mean, the Syrian Christian Church has been around since the beginning of the church. And when we say Syriac, the language they use for their formal church service, it it is it would be like King James English and modern English. It would be Aramaic and Syriac. It's the language of Jesus. That they're still speaking Unbelievable. today, and it's still surviving the spread of Islam and all of these things. Yeah. That in the West, largely ignored those pockets of what, it, what. If you look this up, they're normally called Oriental Christianity. Yeah, yeah. Eastern Christian forms. Mm. Yeah. Unbelievable. That's that's. Yeah. That's it's a great question, and thank you for addressing yeah, uh, for addressing that. I feel vindicated as a Baptistal. That. <laughs> yeah, the, this she, she grew up so. AG, so <laughs> right, you know right. that's, uh, and I don't mean Aggie. <laughs> Um, no. Okay. Is there? No, don't. Is there? Uh, <laughs> uh, are there other questions? We don't have any more on Slido here. But uh, yes, Andrew. That's a yeah. great question. Yeah. yeah, so did everyone hear the question? If you're asking a saint to do something for you, why not just ask God to do it? Why give that saint the, the godly power in your life instead of like a patron saint of whatever, you're traveling or something, instead of just asking God to travel uh, with you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's a great question. And, and so, again, I, I, hear me say, I'm, I'm thoroughly Baptist on this. I don't pray sure. to any saints yeah. or anything like that. So I'm, I'm with you on, the, on, the, on that. The way that um, the official Catholic teaching on this and, and the official Orthodox teaching on this would be to compare it to how you might see other people in living Christians in your life. Um, so I mentioned my grandfather praying to his grandfather, which is technically a no-no, right? But right. my grandmother, who's still alive, every time we go home, I mean, I ask my grandmother to pray for my children while we're there, right? Like, let's all lay hands, pray on them for, mm -hmm. for them before we go. That, now, it, I could just pray directly to God for my children, and I do, but we also believe that the inter you're supposed to intercede for one another, so there's something about, I, I think my grandmother has had a full 96 year, 98 years now of living, godly life, uh, and the fervent prayers of a righteous man, and I would say woman, affecteth much. So yeah. I think that there is something, again, intuitive to our faith of asking those who have gone before us, 
to pray for us on our behalf. Now that's so we're a, not asking grandma to do something different than what God's, we're asking her to pray to God for us. That's mm -hmm. the official teaching of Catholic views of saints. Even if in practice you see people doing things that. Yeah, I, I guess it's, really. it's shorthand, you know, they, they sort of, uh, people can sort of use a shorthand, like give us a safe journey. And what, what is maybe behind that maybe is intercede for a safe journey for us. And I guess the question—a question came to my mind when you were talking about it, all that—is, who would you trust to pray for you? Mm -hmm. Who would you go to? And and I guess with some folks, especially uh, of the Catholic tradition, they're going to go. I'm going to go to somebody who who is proven, tried and true. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, exactly. Who's been tried and mm -hmm. proven to be faithful. Um, yeah. Other other questions, Anthony? Anthony? Yes. So I'm taking a group of true students to Israel this coming May. Um, I've, oh, cool. I've, uh, two years ago, I actually got to go on a uh, uh, all-expense-paid trip to Israel by, uh, by a group of scholars. It was a group of uh, American uh, Christian scholars that were meeting up with uh, Jewish scholars who were Israeli, Israeli rabbis. Um, so we didn't particularly talk about this exact passage that you're talking about, but I think I can just sort of speak in a very general way to answer your question. If you look at how all the prophets, Ezekiel before him, Isaiah before him, uh, Habakkuk before him, uh, Nahum, right? You start looking at the minor prophets and everyone, you, whoever the evil empire is at the time. So, I mean, for the original Hebrews, it would be Egypt. But that, that sort of evil empire motif and this evil king, evil emperor motif keeps coming back up. And you get to sort of stack them up as uh, the one of them prays against the king of Tyre. Like, you sit high. Tyre has this huge tower, and it's, it's, it's this big island on a, on a, 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 a cliff. And, and he says, your, your throne sits high, but you will be brought low. And then he keeps on talking about the king of Tyre, who was a historical person. And it says, you thought you were higher than God. You were there at the Garden of Eden. You trapped man in the first place. And before you, 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 you realize pretty soon, this prophet has moved past this earthly uh, representative of the evil empire to evil embodied, right, Satan himself. Um, so, yes, I do think there's a sense in which we look at all this prophetic tradition going right up to the book of Revelation where Babylon is back, but it's clearly Rome. It's the book of Revelation where we yeah. have the Antichrist who's coming to be at war with the the word in Revelation, the saints of God, who's all of us. So exactly how that's going to play out in the future or with our current situation, that I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a great question. What a, what a great sweep of history in that, in that answer. Um, and that's a good way to read the prophets, which are hard to read sometimes, absolutely. right? Especially the absolutely. Yeah, Ezekiel's weird sometimes. Yeah. But that's oh, yeah. helpful to, yeah, to view that not just as that specific person. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, let's thank Dr. Will Hype for being here tonight. This is... Y'all, this has been truly fantastic. So uh, as we close this down tonight, uh, as is our custom, take some time to pray for one another around tables before you leave. This is the heart and soul of our Christian walk with one another. And uh, there's another table out here that you can go by and peruse as well for Truett Seminary. So um, take some time to do that.
and um, and are you can you stick around maybe just for a few minutes? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, okay. If you have any follow-up questions, and and then we'll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Pray for one another, and we'll call it a night. Thanks, Also, everybody. stick around. Um, Sarah, you can... Uh, we're, we're celebrating someone tonight, so stick around. Uh, yes. Pray around tables, but stay tuned. Exactly. <laughs>